think about the lyrics and just listening to, because I get to go backstage and I get to hear the projection of all your voices forward. And uh, especially when we're like this morning not having the full band, just to hear y'all's voices lifted up is, is really encouraging. And um, I don't think there's really anything more important than worship. And I know that sounds maybe like a little bit of a trite statement, but let me just encourage you, that may be one of the most rich statements that we could consider. And because of the, the nature of worship, uh, what we do when we gather together is so important. And that's uh, part of what the next couple of weeks are going to be about as we get into worship, um, focusing in on specifically next week's Psalm 95. Uh, it's a great, great psalm. I, I would encourage you to go ahead and maybe read that and start meditating on that uh, as we look at what corporate worship for our body life is like. And that's also going to trickle into individual worship. Um, so I'm going to be explaining how those things work together. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the glory of God over the summer months. I'm really, really thrilled about it. Um, so I hope that you'll make sure that if you're in town over the summer, uh, that you're present here. And uh, encourage people that you're looking around and seeing they're gone on vacation as you're running into them uh, in grow groups and other things. Uh, just give them an encouraging word about being here too. Um, this morning, I get the opportunity to address ordination. And we have spent a little bit over a year and about a year and a half uh, addressing uh, our church leadership. And it started last like a year and a half ago in January when we started mentoring men on the importance of eldership and deaconship in our church life. And out of that, we started uh, looking at nomination process uh, where we had nominated leaders uh, or potential leaders. Then we moved from nominating them to candidacy after we interviewed them and worked through the process. Um, and today we're going to ordain two men. And uh, I just want to share this as the elders and I met Wednesday night about some things in considering that whole process, the, the thing that uh, struck me as I was preparing for today's message and, and what I said to the elders is, if it took us a year and a half to get two guys, guess what we need to start doing today? We need to start right back in the process. <laughs> um, and, and so I especially want to speak to all of the, the men in our church. Uh, you have an awesome privilege and responsibility to grow in the Lord and to seek what the Lord is going to do in your life. If you are uh, biblically qualified to serve as an elder deacon, I want to encourage you, pursue it. Pursue it. Because it does talk about if you desire those positions in the scripture. And that means this. If you desire it, you need to be working hard to, to get there. And I'm going to be teaching on the concepts of ordination today. Um, it's, it's amazing to me, and I love this uh, in Scripture. The Scripture emphasizes the importance and value of the church over and over and over again. And as you think through uh, epistles and what Paul writes, whether it be to an unhealthy church like the church at Corinth or to healthier churches uh, in, in some of the other letters, specifically he writes to Timothy about the importance and value uh, and qualities and qualifications of elders and deacons, there is a very intentional um, word that we get from the scripture that instructs us. 
and we need to be careful with those instructions. And so as we start this, I want to give you some um, biblical guidelines, um, or, or actually it's probably not biblical guidelines, more guidelines about how we handle Scripture and the interpretation of it. And uh, if I say prescriptive and descriptive when you handle things about Scripture, does, how many of you go, oh yeah, we know what you mean right away, Matt. Raise your hands if you understand descriptive and prescriptive. Okay, good. There's some hands out there, too few, and that's why the Lord evidently impressed me to, to teach on this for just a minute, okay? So when, when we come to the ideas of descriptive principles versus prescriptive uh, instructions, there's, there's big distinction there. So when we come to the, especially the idea of elders and deacons in particular, we need to understand how those things work together. So let me give you a good uh, difference between, uh, example between descriptive principles and prescriptive. Uh, if you were to read 1 Samuel 17, um, you would get this, uh, read about the account of David and Goliath. Now if you remember, Goliath was busy blaspheming the Lord, and young teenage David, who was destined to be the king, took out his weapon of choice, which was a sling, and he took some rocks from some kind of river nearby, and he and Goliath had the battle. And in the myth, after the battle was won, when David hit him in the forehead with one rock and, and slew the giant, do you remember what David did afterwards? He took his sword, and he decapitated Goliath, okay? Now, that would be something that we don't apply prescriptively, okay? Because if, if we were prescriptively saying, hey, when someone blasphemes, get out your sling, hit them in the head with the rock, and then go cut off their head. That is not how we're supposed to respond. That was a very specific incident in the life of David in, with, uh, with Goliath. So that is a uh, a passage of scripture that we could understand other important inferences of. Like God is faithful, okay? He watches over those who are his faithful servants because David was recognizing that he needed to go in the strength of the Lord. That's why he did not put on Saul's armor in that, that moment, right? So we, we can understand, especially when we think about other passages of scriptures that do take that same kind of concept about the Lord strengthening those who are serving him for battles. Then you go into maybe like the New Testament in Ephesians 6 and think about, okay, we are people who are equipped with the armor of God and the spiritual armor of God, the, the weapons of warfare. So th that becomes more of a intertwined where Scripture is interpreting Scripture and it's descriptive for us about how we stand firm. Now, uh, on a prescriptive nature, let, let, if you think about Colossians 3.9, Here's a place where we go, okay, this is just a command that, that we're, is, is given to us as a script to follow carefully. It says this, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Th that's not like a description, well, do we, do we have to parse what it means to lie to one another? Yeah, we, do we need to go and think, well, have I put off the old self? No, in Christ we have. So, so the prescription is, we do not lie. We tell the truth, we speak the truth, we are transparent about things so that we can find healing and hope, okay? Is, is that make sense? Everybody now, you understand the difference kind of between descriptive interpretation and prescriptive, okay? Um, so how do you tell some of the difference? Let me, let me give you a, a point that, that might help, is you consider the context, 
okay? So when you think about the illustrations or examples I've used, David and Goliath is a context of his, historicity, a historical event. Whereas when you get into Colossians, there's commands in, uh, given for the church. So now, with that in mind, I want you to think through what we're addressing today with ordination. Um, so, so when we think about the idea of ordination, we're starting to look at the specific offices of the church and what God in his word has commanded us to lead the church in a healthy way, to provide for the growth and maturation of the church. And we need to go, where is, are there prescriptive commands about this and where are there descriptive commands about this? So I want to start by looking at Acts chapter 6. And uh, largely why I think this applies for us today is because it's important when we think about the issue of ordaining deacons for our church where we, we stand. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, um, and this, this morning this stuff's not going to be on the screen, so just you know, bear with me if you don't have your Bibles and just listen along. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'll get, I'm trying to buy you a second to get to Acts chapter 6. So, Acts chapter 6, here we go. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So let's stop right there. What's happening is the Hellenists, the, those uh, Gentile-influenced believers, uh, compared to the Jewish believers that were converting from Judaism to Christianity, the, the Jewish widows were being taken care of. Their, their widows were like first in line for the distribution of the food, and their needs were being met. But the, the Hellenists widows were being neglected and, and they were going hungry and things were not going uh, in a good way for the health and, and maturation of the church as the church was gathering all these believers coming together. So there was this huge practical need. Now let's look at what happens in verse 2 after this. And the 12, so here we have the apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the apostles had an uh, important role, and that was to focus in on the teaching of the scripture so people were continuing to hear the gospel so that the number of disciples would continue and increase, and those disciples would continue to mature that had been coming to Christ. So they said, here's this, we, we, need to, we need a reprieve. We need something to happen. So they looked in verse 3. They said, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they said, there's a need. There's a need for us to, to get seven men to come and minister so that we would be able to teach and preach and pray and focus on those kind of things. So let's look, continue reading. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and, the Holy Spirit, uh, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. I love this, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests came, uh, became obedient to the faith. So here's... The, the situation, again, the, the disciples, or, or, or the growing number of disciples were not having all their needs met, especially the Hellenist widows. So they selected these seven men as deacons. It freed the apostles up to continue to do the teaching and ministry of the gospel, and that what, in turn, 
impacted the church so that the number of disciples continued to increase even more, even to the point that priests were coming, which is a major, uh, if you think about it, a major transition for them to, to leave the priesthood and begin to follow Christ in some ways because they were denying or, or re seeing how Christ fulfilled the promise of the Old Testament and they did not have to stay trapped in the religious uh, uh, forms of Judaism any longer. So great impact on the church. Now here's a, the question. Go back to descriptive and prescriptive for just a moment. If we looked at this passage as a prescriptive plan for the church, the only reason we would ever have deacons in the church was because we had who? To, widows to feed. Okay? That, I don't think that that's what the intent of deacon ministry was. It was important at that time. But if we look at it in the descriptive idea, it comes to this, that there's a ministry need in the church that the apostles, the apostles or the leaders of the church who are responsible for the teaching and maturation of the body need to be freed up so that the practical ministry needs that the deacons handle are met in the body life. So let me say this. We don't have any widows in our, in our church that I know of. And we have some single ladies, but most of the single ladies are actually able to work and meet their ongoing needs. So when we think about the uh, need for deacons in our church, are there needs? Well, absolutely, because there's a lot of things in our church that we need to provide attention to in very practical ways that meet, reach out to the body because the body is in need of the, the ministry of deacons that provide compassion compassionate ministry to the body that care for those needs that that are out there being the, the hands and feet a little differently than those who are equipping the body for the, the, the work of the ministry so that those two roles exist in, in deacon and eldership does that make sense so so for our body right now we don't have any deacons um, we've had some in the past but they've uh, resigned and gone on to do other things uh, so we're at a point where we're looking and saying, okay, we need to establish deacons in our church again, and looking, we're looking at uh, how those roles are going to be filled. So this morning, we're actually going to be ordaining Greg Maddox as a deacon of our church. Uh, Greg's over here. Wave to everybody, Greg, right now. Most of you know Greg, but um, thanks for waving back. Greg, some people wave back at you. I know you're, you did see that. Okay, good. Um, so... Greg is going to be taking over the ministry area of our, our grow groups and uh, leadership of that because that's one of those places in, in ministry where we're seeing it's hard for us as elders to get in and, and make sure that all the nuances and the cogs and the wheels are connecting well. So Greg is going to be our hands and feet in a sense, complimenting us in that ministry, making sure that leadership is uh, trained. He's going to be making sure that those grow, group, uh, grow, grow groups are, are focused in on meeting the needs of our body life through those things. So giving wisdom, he's got tons of years. You're so old. And so I mean, tons of practical experience in all those years and great wisdom on how to minister care in a grow group body. And, and it's so exciting to think that he's going to be able to mentor and model and encourage people in that that way and it's going to transform our body life in some incredible ways so we're really really excited about that and all of you who are in greg's grow group don't think that he's moving out of leadership for that okay that he's not going to be doing that he'll still be ministering to his his own personal grow group so 
when it comes to eldership, it's, it's an interesting transition that takes place in the scriptures. Because at this point in the, the church life, the apostles are really the ones leading. And we don't see, uh, like, visually this transformation take place where they start passing the baton on to a number of elders. But it, it, we, we also see the fruit of, that it's taken place. Turn over to Acts chapter 11. So all of a sudden, here we are, and there's some things going on uh, in the church, and we're going to look in verse 29. Now, what's happening is a church in Antioch is beginning to minister back to the, the church in Judea, okay? So in, in verses, uh, we're going to read 29 and 30. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So what, what we see is at some point in the life of the church, the apostles started uh, ordaining elders to become leaders in the church in Judea, which is outside of Jerusalem, uh, a broader area. And so this, there was a great need in the church. Paul himself is going to be instructing Timothy, as we're going to look at in just a minute, about the need for Timothy to raise up other leaders. He also instructs Titus about that. And so we get this understanding that the leadership of the church has moved from the apostles, it's, it's being transferred, uh, transferred to the elders, and the elders are to be uh, qualified men who are ordained by other men, having their hands laid on them for the furtherance of the leadership of the church. So we have these two, what we, we kind of, I think it's a, a fair term, it's in modern language, but we call them the two offices of the church, that we have elders and deacons. And elders are the, the primary leaders who oversee and govern the church, and complementary to them are deacons that, that are, take that ministry a step uh, further into some practical ways into the body life. So is everybody with me so far on that? Pretty, pretty straightforward and simple. Okay, good. So what I want to do, I want to highlight some things about eldership first. Okay? So if you're taking notes in your, uh, your uh, grove at a glance, this will be a good time to, to write some things down. I want to begin with a quote by John Piper. Uh, he says this. I think this is, helps and it's really simple. The function of elders may be summed up under two heads, teaching and governing. So I think that's a great summary. He said, it continues, they are doctrinal guardians of the flock and the overseers of the life of the church responsible to God for the feeding and care and ministry of the people. I love short quotes like that by guys that are really wise, that have been in pastoral ministry for a long time, that are good theologians. And I think he gets that really well in a nutshell. That's, that's who elders are. I want to um, highlight this, though, a couple things out of this. And if you're at all interested in reading uh, a good bit more, uh, a couple years ago, I had the opportunity uh, under the elders' leadership uh, and accountability to write a paper on the governance of the church. And so on our website, you can go download that and read it. It's in a PDF. Um, you, you need to have about, uh, if you can print front and back, you probably need about 15, 16 pages. It's kind of long. Um, I think Jeff Randolph said, man, this is like reading a college paper. And uh, yeah, it probably is. It's, and I, I was reviewing it, Jeff, and, and after seminary classes recently, I'm like, oh my goodness, that writing was so poor. So anyhow, um, enjoy reading it if you want a lot more detail. But I'm going to take some highlights from that and the studies that I had the opportunity to do to really hone in on uh, the governance for the Grove Church. So let me, let me give you a couple of things here. 
uh, we believe that elders are responsible to operate, okay? So how we flesh out our roles in four ways. We are to lead, teach, equip, and care. So when you think about an elder being a shepherd, an overseer, uh, pastor, those are some of the synonyms that work together out of the, the Greek language that's in the New Testament. It, the, the four ways that we operate are lead, teach, equip, and care. Now, this is going to be done in four primary areas, okay? I'm trying to make this real simple for us to hang on to, okay? That we will do function in those four roles in these four areas. Doctrine, in discipline, in direction, and distinction, Okay, so hopefully the alliteration there helps. Doctrine, discipline, direction, and distinction. So let me highlight what these things look like. When it comes to doctrine, Alistair Begg said this, the elders must be solidly committed to the foundational truth of the Bible. Now let me pause here for just a second. I want to encourage all of you guys to listen to these four things really carefully. Whether you feel qualified or not, because the truth is, I think, even in this sense, you are leading your home. And as a man who is attempting to mature biblically, this is really all of our call. Every one of us ought to be pursuing maturation in these areas. Now, you may not uh, aspire to be a, an elder or make it there. Um, that's okay. But we all ought to be doing this. So let me, let me go back and, and hang on to this quote because I'm going to read a lot more from Alistair Beck. The elders must be solidly committed to the foundational truths of the Bible. And if they do not know the foundational truths of the Bible, they should not be elders. Because we can't ask them to be committed to things they don't even know. Therefore, I love this, it is incumbent upon us to instruct our church in such a way that the men of the church are growing up under so solid Bible teaching and are beginning to put together their own systematic theology, are being able to understand the broad sweep of God's purpose in the world and are being able to distinguish between truth and error, are becoming those who are solidly committed to the foundational truths of the gospel, not the kind of men who can be blown about by every wind of doctrine. I'm going to give you a freebie here. Yesterday I was home by myself for a little while. Julianne had a, a dance recital and she and Katie were gone for the day. Christian was doing something else. Rebecca's gone for the summer. So I was sitting at home and uh, at, at some point I was flipping channels. Um, I was tired of reading seminary work and I was like, I just need to chill my brain. And on the channel I uh, flipped on Joel Osteen. I was like, I just want to see it. Just see what he's saying. And, and folks, I'm going to tell you it's scary. It's scary what he says, how he says it, and it is the farthest thing from the truth of the gospel. And, and I don't name names in the pulpit like this very often, but it, it's part of this ha uh, um, struggle that we're having in the context of our world where those kind of uh, theological errors are being promoted on the screen, and people think, oh, they must be good. They're published. You know, I I'll be honest. There's a lot of people out there who can self-publish works or get a, a cheap publisher out there who doesn't have any clue what's theologically sound. And it's, but it's a book. It's a book. The, the, the scary thing is, and it's honestly the last thing I'd ever do, I could self-publish my own stuff and, and put it out there and try to sell it. 
but I am not doing that because I want accountability from someone in an academic world, someone who's theologically sound and proven with editors that are going to make sure that the work is good, and I'm going to make sure that I put it before people that are theologically sound that critique the work before it ever be done. And, and just, so, so there's other things out there, not just like Joel Osteen, but if you listen to certain uh, worship, and we're going to get into this in the, the worship series this summer, there's so much heresy being taught in our worship. And unfortunately, our worship defines a lot of our doctrine. And it's, it's crazy. And we've got to be careful about these things. And who is responsible to guard the doctrine of the church? It's the elders. And we, we need to be saying these things. We need to be teaching you these things. We need to be sharing the resources with you to help make sure that you're grounded and not falling into error. Because this, in this day and age, everything is so accessible through your phone and that little device that you have on, on you all the time. I have a friend who calls it the idiot box. And sometimes I think that's what it is. And what it does, if it's that, that's the idiot box, guess what it makes me when I look at it too much? An idiot. So I'm trying to reduce my idiot time. Okay, so, and, I, and I'm not saying this can't be used for good things, but if we're not careful to apply the right filters and to know what we're uh, it, it bringing into to that device, in, through that device into our lives, we can be endangering ourselves. So let me um, encourage you with that. Guard your doctrine. Men, do not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Get into the Word. If you need some good resources, we have, uh, J.I. Packer has a concise theology book. It's about 56 chapters or something. Each chapter is about two, two and a half pages. It's a great theological book if you're just starting to think about systematic theology. It saves you from reading the, the multi-huge uh, volumes like Grudem or Hodges or, um, oh, Christian, who, who did you guys have? Erickson, Miller Erickson, thank you. Um, and, and some of those guys. So you can read this in a short little paperback that costs you about 13 bucks, and it is a great, great piece uh, of work that is it's, it's concise, like what he says. So we can, we can help you find those resources where you could do your devotional life out of that, honestly, and build a systematic theology, man, that will help you guard the truths that you need to be hanging on to. So the second thing that we are to guard uh, or, or to operate in is the area of discipline. I love that word. And I, I, I say this often when I talk about this with folks in our new membership class. Discipline has at its core or root the idea of disciple. I think discipline has uh, received a negative connotation because we think discipline's bad. Well, when we discipline someone, what's the hope? That they would be corrected and put back into right discipleship, right? The right path. That's part of the process. So what does discipline entail? It entails training. It entails admonishing. It entails encouraging, correcting. And I want to share this. At times, removing someone from church membership. That is a scary thing. But I want to encourage you. Go back and read 1 Corinthians, uh, especially around chapters, I think it's chapter 5 through 7, somewhere in there, and then follow up with that in 2 Corinthians. There was a man who was engrossed in and the church wasn't handling it right. Paul encouraged this unhealthy church to, to employ church discipline in the manner that was removing him from relationship, and it worked. So let me read some notes here. I am afraid that church discipline, putting someone out of the church for uh, correction, 
has grown out of favor in most circles. And it is this. That kind of form of discipline is critical for maintaining church uh, health. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says. And I'll, I'll invite you to turn there. We'll take a, a quick minute to do that. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. That's not a very easy, comfortable thing to consider. I've often thought about this through some of the conflict that I've dealt with in church life, uh, where the scriptures tell us you warn a divisive man once, you warn him a second time, and then you have nothing to do with them. Those principles are hard to swallow, but there's value to them. So let me read a little bit more. If you look over at 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15, Chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. It says further, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy. Warn him as a brother. That is hard stuff. But there's a purpose. When you think about having removed someone from fellowship, what is the goal of that? that they would be ashamed of what they're doing and that we, they would be drawn into repentance. Because oftentimes, what produces repentance? It's shame. It's because we feel broken and ashamed of what we're doing. And sometimes that, that feeling and that sense and that awareness only comes by the removal and distance of relationships. Not as an enemy. Okay, you get that, what Paul says? Not as an enemy, because we want to ultimately do what? Restore them to fellowship. Because that shame brings them to repentance because they see the kindness and mercy of what we're doing as stewards of God's resources, and it brings them back into that right relationship. So, so let me read something Mark Dever says of, uh, he is the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and uh, it might be Mark Dever, I can't remember how you pronounce it right now, but um, here's what he says. One more thing, did you notice how serious were the consequences? Paul mandated in these descriptions of church discipline, he says, put out of your fellowship, is in 1 Corinthians 5, 2. Hand this man over to Satan, 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Not to associate, do not even eat with such a man. Keep away from, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Hand it over to Satan, rebuke publicly, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with him. So there's a litany of scriptures in there. Here's what he says, and I love this summary. Church discipline is significant if a church is to be healthy. Folks, if we as elders don't esteem our responsibility to discipline the body and one another, okay, we're not excluded from that discipline, okay? Don't, don't think that, that, that we just get to be the top tier and we're not accountable. We're first accountable, okay? But if we don't uh, exercise discipline and guardianship of us, we will not be a healthy church. And we cannot let that go lightly. Third thing, direction. Direction is simply this, giving oversight and direction of the church. It means that we are responsible, and I love this, to know and understand the gifts, the resources, the strengths, and the weaknesses of people who comprise the body and lead accordingly. 
Can I tell you a great victory that I've seen in the last couple of weeks? I know some people in our church life who are struggling with some things. And one of the other things I know is people who are uh, capable of mentoring and resourcing with them to provide relationships. So I've been connecting them, watching that fruitfulness establish great things in people's lives. And I can't wait to to see the long-term production of fruitfulness through that. That's the kind of thing that we want to do. When someone's walking in weakness, who's got the gifts, abilities, and uh, gifting to, to meet with them and to help mentor and shape them? That, that's oversight. That's direction of our church. There's also, I think, the responsibility to look at the direction of our church with pulpit ministry, what we're teaching, with themes, with all those kind of things. So that's why I think it's important, especially in our day and age, when you flip on the radio and you hear... Uh, theological or songs that are not theologically sound we're endangering you if we don't address those things so we want to provide direction about that i am so excited today i'm going to talk to the elders about what i think the lord's uh has in store for us about the fall series and it's going to be amazing if if this is what the lord does it'll be amazing if it's not this um whatever he directs us to do but i'm i'm getting more and more excited about that direction So all of those kind of things. Lastly is distinction. So let me make it real simple. When you think about elders, and I think this uh, also qualifies or also speaks to to men who are to be deacons. They are to be distinct in the areas of doctrine, family life, business practices, social life, and stewardship. If, If they don't distinguish themselves in those areas, why are they... What qualifies them to be an elder? I mean, I mean, those are the areas that we should look differently from the world, for sure. And honestly, even in the church life, we ought to see those things rising a little bit more. I, uh, when, in my youth ministry training, I love this imagery. Um, they talked about leadership. Leadership is not something that you pull somebody up from. A leader is one who pops up, that, that you start seeing who they are out of the crowd, okay? And not physically, it's not that they're taller, but they, they start showing up a little differently. And we have this um, acrostic that we use, fatter. Okay, and ladies, I, I say this every time, Katie gets mad at me. It's not about your physique, okay? Guys are less concerned about our physique. I'm not saying anything about you ladies, but don't take that negatively. Fatter stands for something. It's just easy to remember this way, okay? Faithful leadership is described by these things. There are people who are faithful, who are, the, are available, who are teachable, who are thankful, who are enthusiastic, and who are responsive to authority. Okay? You start seeing those things pop up, then you go, oh, they can handle that. Because someone could have a lot of those characteristics, but not all of them, especially one like this, if they're not available. Well, how do they lead if they're not available and present to lead? <laughs> they could be the greatest leader and have all those other qualities, but if they're not present in your life, and they don't have the time and the resources uh, to be available, it doesn't make sense for them to take on leadership. If they're not responsive to authority, especially in church life, because we're always accountable to someone in church life, well, if they're not responsive to authority, what are they? They're rebellious. And healthy leadership is not rebellious. You see, so that's a good way to think through those qualities and see who is stepping up, who is rising into leadership. And, and men, let me encourage you about this. 
I, I hope that you will take that acrostic and that you will work on being fatter. Not in your belly area, okay? I'm trying to reduce mine right now, okay? Not in that way, but in your character. Will you be faithful? Will you be available? Will you be teachable? Will you be thankful? Will you be enthusiastic? Will you be responsive to authority? So that as the Lord over the next year is having us look at future leadership, we start seeing you, who God is calling to that, becoming those things more and more by your intentionality to commit yourself to health, to maturation in Christ for the health of his church, his body, of who Christ is the head. That's an awesome responsibility. That's what we get. Now, let me summarize this about deacons. Deacon, a deacon is this. He's a complement to the office of elder. He's a servant. He's one who is responsible to cooperate. And, and this is important too, to communicate with the elders so that the body is taken care of well. He brings a great balance to us in ways that we are not able to, to reach out and do in some ways just because of our focus in other areas. So I want to read this. Alexander Strzok is one of the foremost scholars on the, the uh, offices of elder and deacon. He, he writes this, we must not forget that the real treasure of the church are its people, not its pews and buildings. Now let me stop here for a second as I read this. I think a lot of deacon ministries focus in on facilities and those kind of things. We may have a deacon that does that for us at some point, but that's not the goal. The goal is that they would uh, oversee the facility so when we walk in, things are benefit, our, our body life feels comfortable and confident about when we come in, okay? But what is the real treasure of the church? It's not the building. It's not the things that we possess. It's not the great stage or sound system. You are the greatest resources. You are who Christ died for and rose for so that you would be redeemed and you would be made like Christ. And it's our responsibility to equip you and the deacon's responsibility to continue to nurture your care and your encouragement and your admonition in the Lord. So he continues, the deacon hold a distinct office of loving service to those who are in distress, to those who are dear to God's heart. Deacons have the honor of modeling for the local church and a lost world God's compassion, kindness, mercy, and love. They will impact the body as they care in really, really practical ways. Now, we're going to change gears just a little bit. That's what the leadership of the church is about. You, you hear the awesome responsibilities that Steve and Greg are taking upon themselves today. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to change gears just a little bit. I'm going to invite them to come up. I'm going to move over here, and I'm going to read a charge to them. And after that charge, I have a charge to read to you as a body. And this is going to bring this practically into a little bit level, a more level of a commitment and express our, the dynamics of our relationship as elders and deacon and body together. So Steve, come on up. Uh, Greg, you and Amy, come on up. Yeah. Christy's at home with their grandson. They've been traveling this weekend, and uh, so w we obviously miss her, and 
we'll get her the video of this. So I'm going to ask Greg and Amy if you'll move back just a second. That way Steve can be seen by the, the body. Um, Steve, I want to present to you this charge, my brother. Continue to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. By doing this, you will also love our church well as a servant leader. Commit to protecting the body by guarding our doctrine, providing discipline, giving direction, and living with distinction. Always live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. While striving for the advancement of his kingdom, as you serve alongside the other elders. Finally, I charge you, Steve, to employ the gifts that you have been given by the Holy Spirit to equip the body at the Grove Church for the work of the ministry. Steve, will you do that? Thank you. If you'll step back, and I'm going to ask Greg to come over here and Amy to be at his side. Greg, I want to present you with this charge. Continue to walk faithfully with the Lord, loving Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. By doing this, you will also love our church well. Greg, look to the needs of the church, especially in the area of grow groups. You will be helping our church build greater intimacy in relationships while encouraging the body to meet one another's needs through involvement in these groups. Lastly, I charge you to show a ministry of mercy that combines compassion and love with practical demonstration. You will model this and strengthen our church and our ministry by doing so. Do you agree to this, Greg? Great. Church, I want to ask you to stand. Steve, I'm going to ask you to come back up here, and I want you all to, to face these two men. And I have uh, two charges to present to you essentially as a church. There'll be a couple for the elder side with Steve, and then there'll be one that comes along with Greg in a minute as a deacon, okay? In light of the scripture and calling placed upon the current elders and now Steve, and then upon Greg as a deacon, I charge you, the Grove Church, to follow your leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So your first charge is to obey and submit. That's not new. Paul also encourages us to already do that according to uh, Christian relationships and marriages in Ephesians 5. Furthermore, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox when it, is, it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves its wages, or his wages. So your second charge is this. Honor your elders. Specifically in this case, I'm charging you with the duty to honor Steve. The text says that he is worthy of double honor. I'm asking you, you to hold him in high esteem. Don't slander him or the el other elders. Hold them in the highest regard in your speech, in your actions, and in your service. Doing this will bless Steve, and it will encourage he and Christy in their marriage and further enable their service to the church. This passage continues in verse 19, now that uh, passage in uh, 1 Timothy. 
it says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Here's the third charge. Protect he, Steve, and the other elders from gossip, but also hold him accountable to the task he's been given as one who must give an account for his service. Elders are men and therefore subject to failure and sin. Elders are not perfect. They can be tempted to power and prestige. They can abuse their authority and responsibility to satisfy their own passions and pursuits. Protect them, but hold them accountable. Now for Greg. I want to charge you to submit support and participate with him in ministry. Doing this will bless Greg and further increase his motivation to serve you well. This in turn will bless he and Amy both and will strengthen their marriage and this will in turn further kingdom, kingdom work in our church. There is no greater joy than watching those whom you serve blessing others by serving in return. So when Greg seeks to train, participate in the training, apply that training to your life, go further by training others and serving others. Responding to Greg's leadership in this way will improve the health of our church. So church, that's the charge. Will you do that in conjunction with one another in service to the Lord? You say answer by saying we will. Excellent. Now, I'm going to ask some folks to come up and pray a blessing over Steve and Greg as the elders lay hands on them. So Jeff and Dan and Ron, if you all come on up here, I'm going to take the mic off and allow us to pray over these guys. And I'm going to also ask Rob and Jason if they'll come up and pray a blessing over these guys. I've asked them to pray respectively for Steve and uh, Greg. So y'all just stay right there. We're going to lay hands on you guys as Ron prays. Yeah, we could do that. Um, Rob, would you grab a couple chairs? Jacob, would you grab chairs and bring that up here? One chair for Steve, and we'll get one, two for Amy and Greg together. One more, Jason, thank you. It's just right there, Steve. Perfect, thank you. Let's get in here and we'll lay hands on these guys. Okay, church, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Greg and Amy and Steve and Christy and their faithfulness to you, their desire to serve your body, and their willingness to take on office. We thank you for their commitment. Lord, we ask a blessing over both of these men. Lord, we ask that you will give them wisdom as they make decisions. Lord, that they will have a love for the truth and that love for the truth that emanates from the Word of God they will be dependent upon. That they will be led by the Holy Spirit in all that they do that you will bless them and give them a measure of mercy and grace as they carry out the role and the duties of elder and deacon. Father, we give you praise and glory 
and worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I want to lift up Mr. Steve here and Miss Christie as well as she wasn't able to make it today. Um, I just, I'm proud of this man. Uh, he's, he is a man of leadership. Uh, he's served so well um, as a teacher in uh, our Sunday school class. And personally in my life, he's been a man that I can look up to. I can trust that he is full of your true doctrine, that he is, and he is not uh, afraid to, to call out and to hold people accountable because uh, he is a man of honesty and integrity. I'm glad that he has been a man that has taught me many things so far in the year or two that, we've, that I've known him. Um, just guard his heart, guard him and Christy in this time as he's going to be a leader in our church. Uh, just, I'm thankful to call him an elder now and just praise him or give him the opportunity in this time to serve you because it's all going to be to your glory, Lord. Uh, and that's the main thing. And thank you so much for him. Amazing God, we just love you. I thank you for Greg's life, for Amy's life, for their submission to your your calling, Father God. I've seen him at work. I've seen him, you've called him to be a leader, but first you've called him to be a servant. Your gospel speak to that, Father God, that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And I've seen Greg serve at multiple locations. There is witness to that. And I've seen him do it with a joy and a kindness and a smile on his face that can only be brought about by the, your Holy Spirit that dwells within him. I pray that you continue to strengthen them, strengthen Greg and Amy, and protect them, Father God, as your book says in Ephesians 6, that you would gird him up and he would stand fast, Father God, with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. His shoes are in the gospel of peace that he could have on a have and pick up his shield of faith and his helmet of salvation and a sword of the spirit that he would be um, that he would be protected in those times and that whenever he would grow weary he could look to his helper that your book says in Genesis that that it was not good for man to be alone that he gave us a helper and that Amy would would be there right by his side all the way I protect this family father God I pray that this church would come by and protect um, and just stand by and serve alongside uh, Greg and Amy uh, in the days and weeks and months and God willing years to come father God as they just continue to have a joy about their service I just love these uh, I just love them I've seen them they have mentored me 
and I've sat in and I've seen them do the, your work, Father God. And as this, his circle continues to grow, that he would continue to have the same impact on the small groups and, and love on people the way that only you can and you've shown us. So we just praise you for their lives. And just we give this all in Jesus' name. Amen.